1: Here we are. I can't believe this, the 100th podcast episode. This is so exciting. You know, it was two years ago when we started this podcast that we wanted listeners to hear actual incredible stories of success told through the prism of not just strength and resilience, but through the trials and tribulations. I'm talking about pain, bankruptcy, and and yes, a mountain of failures, in order to inspire you guys to realize you too can build something great if you're willing to go through the fire like all of our guests have. Two years later, we feel we've succeeded by talking with some of the most inspirational entrepreneurs out there, but hearing their stories of how difficult it actually was, but how important that journey was to their actual success. So before we continue forging ahead with more guests in the coming weeks and months, and yes, I hope years, I thought this week would be an amazing time to take a step back and look at some and hear from some of the key pieces of advice that our incredible guests have shared throughout the years. If it's your intention to build a business or inspire yourself to do something great, then here are 10 tried and true keys to success that we've collected on Everyone Talks to Liz. And let's roll back to the very first podcast that started it all. I chose this guest and still to this day, Khalil Rafati, the founder of the wildly successful Sun Life Organics chain that went from, I'm telling you, one tiny storefront in Malibu selling acai bowls and and health food to a global powerhouse He is the epitome of what the Everyone Talks to Liz podcast is all about. Khalil teaches you our first lesson. Behind every successful entrepreneur is an unparalleled work ethic, but Khalil took it a step further with his will and fight to survive.
2: There's also the fact that I was a high school dropout, a convicted felon. I can't spell, I can't type, and I don't really have any skills so it's not like i could you know call my folks and get some money or it's not like i could you know most people most addicts have tons of enablers that will just continue to give to them and give to them and mm-hmm. give to them ad infinitum if i'm pronouncing that right you are um... i i didn't have that I, I had nothing my mother was living below the level of poverty and my father and i have always had an incredibly incredibly strained relationship and um, my father's a very proud muslim man and if he would have found me at that time. I mean, he would have killed me with his own bare hands. And, you know, that it, it is what it is. But so I had to work. I don't, you know, if, if I, I think one of the worst things that you can do to somebody is to teach them not to work. You know, my, my pain and my suffering brought me the humility to go and get a job and work and put bread on the table, which once you do that, and you probably know about the bread of shame, Yes. Um, Yeah, you you stop stop experiencing the bread of shame. You start to, you know, when I was on food stamps and welfare or when I was shacking up with older women for money or doing whatever I had to do, um, I felt icky, not just the drugs and all that, Mm -hmm. but I I was living under the bread of shame. And when I began to work, as menial as those jobs were, um, it didn't matter because I went and I bought my own food. And I felt good for the Mm -hmm. first time in in so long. And I, you know, I I started to take care of myself.
1: Okay, work with us here. We've got some quick mid-podcast trivia. Where's the most popular place for a startup? A, a garage, B, a basement, C, the kitchen, Well, I know it seems as though every business starts somewhere, whether it's Apple, Hewlett, Packard, Google, all starting up in garages, or Nick and Elise Sack from Bantam Bagels starting in their tiny apartment kitchen with whatever materials were on hand. But it doesn't matter where. What matters is you just do it. But Nick and Elise bring us our very important second lesson. Wherever you are and whatever you have, just start.
3: I mean, Elise and I literally were making bagel dough in our apartment and told no one about it. Like we would literally come home from work, make dough, put it in our closet to proof, roll them into little balls that next morning and like boil them in a like a boiling vat of water on our stove and no one knew about it because like we wanted to make sure that what we were about to embark on was the right product. We wanted to make sure that it actually was that good.
4: If you ask like, how did you get there? We started with the turkey baster and then when we opened the shop, we used donut fillers. We used what we had.
1: So many businesses start with just a simple single idea, and no matter how big it grows to, always remember your humble beginnings. Joel Clark of pancake giant Kodiak Cakes, who as a tiny boy walked around his neighborhood with his red wagon selling his mother's homemade pancake mix. He represents an amazing example because he grew up to take on the biggest of the big pancake companies.
2: Well,
3: you know, I mean, it's kind of like a lemonade stand story in a way, right? Um, but but there was a little more thought process that went into that because my mom, um, my mom, who was into healthy eating and whole grains and everything we ate was green and brown, as my sister would say, and so um, <laughs> and so my mom always had this this idea to take her recipe and make a make a product out of it, make a pancake mix. And so when I was eight years old, we we made little homemade pancake mixes on the counter in our kitchen. My mom would grind her own wheat, by the way. So everything, you know, this whole wheat, fresh whole wheat flour. And so we made these, these pancake mixes in these brown paper lunch sacks. And my mom yeah. hand wrote on the bags how to make the, how to make the product, how to make your pancakes. And then we put these in my little wagon and I went around the neighborhood and sold these little pancake mixes to the neighbors. And uh, I remember knocking on the doors and, and I was actually pretty outgoing. I wasn't very shy. So for me, that wasn't really hard to go knock on somebody's door and tell them about this pancake mix. And so I remember, I, I don't remember what I said. I just remember not being fearful and kind of knocking at the door and going, hey, we have this this pancake mix. Do you want to buy some? And uh, I, you know, I, I remember selling all of them, and then I remember even getting a couple of reorders, like people calling back and going, "Hey, that was really good stuff, Joel. Do you have any more that we could buy?" You know, and so we we made a few more and sold them, but then we we kind of just let it die out at that time, you know. And it was just kind of a fun thing to do, and we kind of let it die out. And it was it wasn't until the mid '90s um, until we kind of resurrected the idea.
1: One thing that we've learned from all of our podcast guests has been that rejection is a guarantee. So just get ready to embrace it. John Paul DeJoria of Paul Mitchell Hair Care told us that you should never listen to rejection, but get up and learn from it.
0: There's two very important things to know, two very, very important things to know. If you know these two things, you're ahead of the game. The first one is what we're talking about right now. It's mm-hmm. rejection. First rule is no like, no, you're going to get a lot of rejection in your life. You're going to get it in your personal life. You're going to get it in your business life. You're going to get it in your whatever you're doing. You're going to get a lot of rejection. That's what human beings are all about. If you know it from the very beginning, you're going to get a lot of rejection. It doesn't hit you between the eyes and change your life. An example, when I sold encyclopedias for callers door to door, no appointments, all cold calling. They don't even know you're coming. They said that, you know, if you go 50 doors and they're all slammed in your face, be just as enthusiastic on door number 51 because it's going to happen anyways. Those that are and won't let you get it down are going to make it really good. The average life of an encyclopedia salesman is three days. It's commission only, Mm -hmm. period. I lasted three and a half years, but I believed what they told me. I believed it. I was a young guy out of the Navy. I believed. It. I said, "God, they must be right." And I think for me it was maybe a hundred and one door that I got through the first door to give a presentation. Really, but. Yo know, yeah, but rule number one is you've got to believe and know that throughout your whole life, you're going to get rejection. And if you think past in your life at times that gave you rejection, many times you take that one incident and it stays with you and you think it over and over and over again. But if you know that in your life, you're going to get a lot of rejection, then it's trivia opposed to something that's extremely vital.
1: Not only will the road to success show you rejection, it'll also be filled with a mountain of failures, but the best way to fight failure, Ben Weiss, who created Buy Drinks told us, be passionate about what you're doing, what you're trying to grow and never say die.
5: Oh my God, I've had a lot of failures. I'm actually proud of my failures. Um, I had a a product, probably my worst failure was a product I called Booster Shot. Which was uh, an energy, <laughs> an energy additive, which was mistake number one, that went into handmade drinks and it gave you energy. And you know the problem. There was a variety of reasons why that failed, but I believe the one big reason it failed is I never believed in the product. I created it, I didn't use it. You know, I was just talking to somebody today about Buy, and they said, "Do you still drink it?" And I, I, I get like weekly deliveries of Buy from Amazon. And they go, do you pay for it? I go, yeah, full price. I'd pay pay more for it because I know what it's worth. But that's a product that I drink, my kids drink. I mean, I was an evangelist of the, in most products I create, I am an evangelist of it. That one, not so much. And, And when your founder is not an evangelist and or a user of the product, I'd say it has no shot.
1: You know what I realized? We've actually profiled a lot of people in the food and beverage industry, a notoriously vicious and brutal business especially with you know beverages where huge legacy players like Coke and Pepsi muscle out newbies. GT Dave, the first maker of kombucha here in the US, told us You've got to be prepared for even your closest family members. I mean, forget about the competitors, your own parents to question your dreams. At the age of 15, he dropped out of Beverly Hills High School and stood in his kitchen week after week, month after month, year after year, brewing a drink most of America hadn't even heard of yet. But he put on his blinders and cut out the negativity.
6: You know, when you're starting any business at a young age, you are scrutinized because everybody expects you to be following the traditional path of school. And because I took my GED and I dropped out of Beverly Hills high school. And as we were talking about, before we went on the air, you had an incredible experience in high school, which I'm I'm glad you did Mm -hmm. because to be honest, I didn't, Um, you know, you grew up in in, in the eighties in in high school. I was in the nineties. And -hmm. even though that's just a decade apart, the world that you described was polar opposite of mine. So really briefly, you know, going to Beverly Hills High, and I know a lot of people are thinking, oh, poor him, Beverly, it sounds so bad. Well, you know, growing up as a young gay male, when being gay wasn't popular, and even accepted was really, really tough. And, you know, I faced ridicule, um, discrimination, bullying, and all those things at a very early age, to the point where I started ditching virtually every single class. And therefore, I was failing every single class. And I remember my, my college counselor bringing me in and saying, sweetheart, like, I don't know what you want to do with this life. But with these grades, you're not going to get very far. And so that was really the catalyst for leaving high school, taking my GED, but my parents made me promise them that they would accept and support my GED if I didn't screw around, and that if I actually applied myself to City College at Santa Monica City College, which is where I enrolled myself. But as that was happening, kombucha came into my life, and that became, as I said, my calling. So I put everything on pause and started making kombucha, but of course, with that came the judgment. And my parents, even though they really, I think, at the time, admired what I was doing because promoting a health product that helped my mother felt really good to them. But to be honest, in the back of their minds, of course, like any parent, they're thinking, Oh God! But where is this going to go? Like, is he just going to be, you know, forty years old peddling this tea, this little teetotaler? And I remember my mother even pulling pulling me aside, and she's saying, "Sweetheart, I love what you're doing, I think it's really cute, but I don't want to raise a (laughs) teetotaler." And of course, I was like, "Mom, uh, that's not what I'm doing." And and then same thing with my friends. I had friends that were, you know, going now in their senior year at high school, and they were getting accepted to Berkeley and UCLA and SC. And I was kind of the black sheep. And I remember my best friend taking me out and sitting me down. And she said, listen, we're good friends. Right. And I said, yes. And she said, so I'm going to be really open with you. You're kind of a joke and everybody's laughing at you. And this little like vinegar drink that you're trying to sell it's crap and it's not going to go anywhere. Like, what are you doing? You're really wasting these precious years of your life. And I remember like, just being crushed by that statement because I was like, really, is, is that what people's optics of what I'm doing is that I'm just teetotaling this vinegar drink and that's it? They don't see me falling in love with what I'm doing and putting my heart into it and really trying to help people like it helped my mom. So overnight, Liz, I completely severed every single tie with every single person of my age because I said to myself... I don't need that negativity. I don't need that judgment. I don't need those those roadblocks because you know what? I already have those in my natural path of trying to grow my business. I don't need to invite them through my friendships into my world. So severed all ties and completely became this lone ranger.
1: This is everyone talks to Liz and we'll be right back. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Clayman. Just go to Indeed.com slash Clayman right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Clayman. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Cameron Mitchell of CM Restaurants told us his amazing story of going from a dishwasher in a restaurant in Ohio to heading his own restaurant empire. He's someone who knows exactly where rock bottom is, but as long as you have your passion to fuel you, there's no stopping your success. He says, make a plan
7: and set your goals. So it was at four o'clock in the afternoon, shift change, the AM uh, crew was leaving, the PM crew was coming on. Um, the restaurant was half full already. The bar was packed with happy hour. Uh, it was pandemonium in the kitchen. The managers were barking orders out and, and employees were trying to get food before their shift started. And, and and we were already half full. And, and I just remember I had that epiphany right then and there. I looked across. I was working the grill station, getting ready to leave and go home and change and come back as a host. And I, I looked across the kitchen, time froze and I uh, had this moment of clarity. I said, this is what I want to do the rest of my life. It was clear as a bell to me. I knew that I love this business, and this is what I'm going to do. So I I worked my double shift that day. (laughs) I came home that night uh, about midnight, and I wrote out my goals. I said I was going to go to the Culinary Institute of America in Hyde Park, New York. I'd heard about that as the Harvard of culinary schools, and I was going to graduate from there become executive chef at 23. So uh, five years later, that was my five-year plan. Uh, general manager at 24, regional at 26, vice president of operations at 30, and president of a restaurant company by the time I was 35.
1: You know, we find guests for this podcast everywhere. And I'll I'll never forget this one. My brother-in-law, Bill Sheinberg, calls me in her first year and says, you got to profile this guy, Liz. Wait, have you ever heard of Dave's Killer Bread? So we start looking into it. Dave Dahl had spent years in and out of prison for all kinds of crimes, but after one 12-year stint, he was like, okay, I'm I'm done with this. He gets out. He goes to work at his family's little storefront bakery. He starts, just for the fun of it, testing bread recipes and calls one of them that he creates Dave's Killer Bread. He begins selling it on weekends at the local farmer's market, and you know where this is going, right? Right grows it into a multi-million dollar business. It's on shelves all over the place, right? Target, you name it, Whole Foods, it's everywhere. But Dave also teaches us that success is not an end point. It's a way station on the road to the top that sometimes veers off a cliff or two, as it did for Dave.
7: Right after the incident with, with the cops where right? I smashed into three cop cars was in a psychotic um, situation. Mm-hmm uh when i eventually i woke up i read an article about myself in the local paper and it, it just freaked me out and uh um, brought me on my on my butt i became more depressed than i'd ever been before it was a
1: negative article
7: yeah okay. uh it was negative because yeah well, i'll keep it simple but uh it was negative and i'm not used to seeing i wasn't used to seeing negative press mm-hmm. and so it just shocked me It took me quite a, this was six years ago, and it's taken me quite, uh, it took me several years just to kind of get to where I could go back out and, and, and start up again.
1: One thing for sure, the pandemic has tested almost all of us, if not all of us. I mean, what is the one thing we now use way too much of now that we are working from home? Well you gotta say Zoom, right? And Eric Yuan is the mastermind who's made our lives or at least meetings easier. He's gonna show you that you should never ever take no for an answer. What kept you what was inside you that kept you pursuing and persisting?
8: I think first of all the good news was that I never thought about it giving up. And I already told myself, I told my wife, hey, as long as they they let me let me try I would try maybe twenty times, thirty times. That's okay, and because I really, you know, wanted to, you know, come to Silicon Valley to embrace, you know, the first wave of internet revolution. And uh, no matter how many, how many times, as long as they let me try, I, 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 I never thought about giving up. I think I landed in San Francisco airport uh, in August nineteen ninety seven, and you know. Back to 1997, everybody talked about the Internet. Silicon Valley, wow, that's crazy time. And so many uh, Internet startup companies. And here are the people, very friendly. There are so many successful people here. And the weather is great. And uh, I joined WebEx as one of the first several phone engineers. And just to just bring back to write a code. I really like it. And, uh, yeah, so I worked so hard. Sometimes you've
1: got to muscle through the doors to clubs you don't belong to. Erica Nardini, CEO of media giant Barstool Sports, plays to win. She says opportunities you're not even offered are the very things that even if you're not ready for them, you must reach out and grab.
4: It was January of 2016. And we're in a meeting about something else and I was nervous about the meeting. I was excited about it. And they said, hey, there's this company, we just invested in Barstool Sports. I'm sure you've never heard of them. And I said, hold one second pulled out my phone and I was like, oh, I've heard of Barstool Sports. And I lit up and I showed them the app and I was like, here's everything I love about Barstool Sports. Here's everything they could be doing. This is why this could be such a big company and a big brand. And God, this app is like the biggest piece of you've ever seen. So, um, and I went on and on and on and on. And I and I knew that they were going to be looking for a guy and they were, they were going to be looking for someone with a business degree or somebody who worked in sports or, you know, somebody who kind of fit the profile. And I left and I was, I just felt jealous, to be honest with you, Liz. I was just like, oh, I wish I could have a chance. You know, they're going to look for a CEO. I wish I could have a chance. And. I had a friend who, uh, who went to the same college that I did, and she'd graduated a couple of years before me. And she, she was kind of in my women's mafia um, and a mentor. And I knew that she knew Dave Portnoy, the founder of Barstool. And I was like, that's like, at any point, I would just sometime love to meet Dave. Like, I, mm-hmm. sometime I would, and I didn't want to come on too strong, and I didn't want to ask too much. Um, but then she introduced me to Dave. And Dave and I had coffee in the West Village and totally hit it off, like not in the context of looking for a CEO. I just wanted to meet him. Um, We had an awesome conversation. Like it was like, you know, thousand ideas and talking about things and brother from another mother. Yeah. Like I was just like, I love this guy and Mm -hmm. God, what a cool company and God, he could do so much. I I know, I know the things that could help. Um, And I had so much respect for what Barstool was and what he had built. And long story short, went through the process. I was the only candidate that didn't tell them that they were doing something wrong or that they needed to change how they did what they did. Um, And I think I was probably the candidate who was most passionate about the brand and most optimistic and excited about the future. And I'd never been a CEO, uh, the chairman got guy, Peter Turner was like, I don't know if you can do this job or not. And I was like, I'm going to do this job. And the rest has kind of been history.
1: Perhaps one of the most touching and emotionally inspiring stories we've gotten has been from Anthony Zhang about pushing through the toughest of circumstances. Anthony had successfully pitched his little college food delivery company to Shark Tank billionaire Mark Cuban, grown it, and then started other businesses, but then one fateful night... At the height of his success, he saw everything, including his own life, flash before his eyes. Anthony taught us that determination can be so powerful that even at his lowest point, paralyzed from a hospital bed, he could push his crumbling business back to health, even though he would never walk again. Four months into this recovery, as if to pile it higher and deeper, your business partners show up and tell you, you know what? We got to shut this business down. Business isn't working out. What was your response? Because to me, it would be so easy to say, "Well, have at it, guys. I can't move. I've got to just even get back to basic functioning."
9: Yeah, that was uh, absolutely shocking to me because for those first four months, you know, they were they were there for me, right? They were they were like, "Hey, Anthony, we." We'll do anything for you, right? We're, we're going to be stepping up. We're going to be helping to make sure Envoy Now is all right. We're going to be handling everything that you handled as a CEO. So I really didn't give it a second thought because I fully trusted them. And to just get that call from them, my co-founders and my executive team being like, hey, we're giving in our two weeks. I'm like, two weeks? You you can't give two weeks to a company that you co-founded. That's That's not... That's not, absolutely not something you can do, and just something inside me was just like, I'm not going to let this go right this is This was like a such a big part of my identity at the time, and that was something that I really, really was clinging on to because you know my my body was broken, you know my life was turned upside down, but my mind wasn't i could I could still be there, and I think I could still lead the company. so after they left i I called up all of our lead investors, all of our remaining employees. And was like, hey, I'm calling from the hospital bed right now. I want to come back as CEO and I want to see if you'll stay with me and you'll help me, help this company get to an acquisition because I think we've built something of value. There are people's livelihoods depending on the success and failure of this company. And I think we can actually get to an acquisition. So if you can give me six months of your best efforts, six months of 200%, at least we can say we tried and at least we can part ways feeling good about it. Um, and thankfully they were there to support me and, um, you know, just being able to focus on the business again, after, um, you know, after months of just focusing on being able to move something that I couldn't move or being able to do something that was completely, um, you know, a second nature to me that now I need to relearn.
1: And last but certainly not least, even at the top, you're gonna to make mistakes, but even as people judge you and say you don't deserve your success, and that because of those mistakes, you should just disappear. YouTube star Logan Paul says "You must 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 tune out the haters and still forge ahead.
10: It was the biggest moment in my life it was like it was the biggest slap in my face to tell me I was going the wrong way, so now that I've rerouted and I've pivoted and I'm going the right way, it feels it, it's nice to be able to look back and be able to pinpoint like what went wrong in my life that allowed that to happen because now it'll never happen again. And if I can be the lightning rod, like the beacon of uh, wrongdoings and mistakes and like a, a walking learning lesson for kids or anyone really, mm-hmm. uh, that's awesome. Like I, I like, cause I can take the heat. Like I won't give up ever. Literally never. I, I've said this a couple of times today. It is all so circumstantial. It like, depending on what the mistake is, you know, if, if it's, and by the way, is it a mistake? who's to decide is it on the internet to decide i don't, I don't know because some stuff like people should be canceled for but i've made it very clear like the only person who decides whether or not you're truly canceled is you are you absolutely gonna, you gonna sit like you, you know how many you know how many tweets there were that wanted to like cancel me and like end me like like and me like wish my existence was no no more
1: was there a really like, like really m- bad, dark moment, millions,
10: millions of, of people. And I'm just like, yo, y'all don't even know me. And you want me to like disappear from planet earth. What, what kind of person are you? I don't, I, your opinion is irrelevant to me. Wishing death upon someone for, you know, a lapse in judgment. Like I, I'm just, I'm un- uninterested in affiliating with any of those people. And by the way, like they would probably be uninterested in affili- in affiliating with me too. And th- the only way I'd roll over and die is if I said, oh yeah, you guys are right.
1: We are so glad you have decided to join us on this incredible journey. And now you're kind of stuck with us. You can't leave. Stay tuned and also tell your friends. We have so many more incredible guests on the way and I cannot wait to share all of their stories with you. you.